First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Father, as we open your word together now, we pray that you would remind us of how short the time is. Father, that you would help us to make the most of every opportunity that you've given us. Father, in this age that we live in, that you would help us to parent well. Father, you would free us and free our kids from whatever may hold them and enslave them. That, Father, we might be able to embrace life as you have given it. That we might be able to value and treasure the relationships that you have placed in our lives. And help us to love well, help us to lead well. And Father, even today, through your word, would you bring the conviction that we need, the grace that we need to honor you in every area of our life and our family. We ask you to help us even now, Father, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we started our Family Matters series back on Mother's Day, and we're uh, wrapping this series up today on Father's Day. And we have covered a lot of ground uh, in the last several weeks. We've talked about marriage. Uh, We've talked about parenting. Last week, we talked about grandparenting. And what, what an amazing sight it was last week in every one of our services to see grandparents kneeling at this altar and praying uh, and lifting up the names of their grandchildren together. Such a powerful, powerful sight. And, and today, as we complete this series, we're turning our attention to what I believe is one of the biggest challenges facing parents today, and uh, that is how to parent in this digital age that we live in. In a recent Barna survey of parents, nearly four out of five said that they believe that raising kids today is more complicated than it was for their kids. Now, I would say that probably every generation of parents uh, probably feels that way, that in some ways it's harder for them uh, to raise their kids than it was for the generation that preceded them. But when these parents were asked in this survey uh, what specifically made parenting so complicated today, Uh, overwhelmingly, the number one answer that was given was this. It was stated by 65% of parents in this survey that technology and social media, that that is what made parenting today so complex. And I'm sure a lot of parents uh, here today can resonate with that. It is difficult, isn't it, to know how to navigate all of these issues that revolve around using technology and to do it in a way that would honor the Lord. Of course, one thing I need to say here early on is that technology itself is really not uh, right or wrong. It's not good or bad in and of itself. It's really amoral. It's really morally neutral. An an iPhone isn't good or bad. A TV isn't good or bad. Uh, Really, what makes it good or bad is how we use it. As one person put it, we can either use technology wickedly or we can use it redemptively, but that is up to each of us. Technology itself is really just a tool. 
And if you think about it, mankind has always been inventing tools, whether it be the wheel or paper or cars or planes or whatever it is, we've always been inventing tools. But as Andy Crouch points out in his excellent book called The TechWise Family, he said what makes the internet and our smartphones in particular so different is that these are tools that go with us everywhere all the time. Now you think back to uh, the olden days maybe when uh, many families worked on a farm. Maybe you would use uh, your plow or your rake out in the garden. And when you were done with that tool, you would leave it in the shed or you would leave it in the barn and that tool stayed there. But it's not so with our phones that go with us everywhere. It's not so in this connected world that we live in, where this technology is with us everywhere we go, 24-7. And that does present some unique challenges that no other generation before us has faced in quite the same way. And if you think about it, all of this has changed in a really, really short period of time in the span, really, of just one or two generations. Uh, You know, I I wonder how many of y'all remember a time when the internet uh, was something that you had to dial up to, right? How many of y'all recognize this sound right here? Listen to this. Right? You remember that? Now, there are some kids and teenagers in this room, listen, who have still got, who have have never heard that sound in their life, right? They hear that and they think there's an alien invasion that is taking place, but that used to be how it was. How many of y'all remember uh, how cool it was when uh, you were able to instant message your friends on AOL Instant Messenger? How many remember that? I was in college, right? This is dating me, but I was in college. I thought it was the coolest thing. And now, of course, we can all send instant messages, right? And they're called text, and we can all do them from our phone that's in our pocket. And so all of this has changed, and it's changed in the span of about 20 years. It has rapidly changed. And so how do we as parents navigate the changes that have already happened, much less the ones that are going to happen? How do we glorify God in this digital age that we are living in? And so what I want to do today, I want to share with you seven biblical principles, uh, and then I want to wrap up with seven practical suggestions. Now, if you add those together, that's 14 points, all right? So you're going to have to listen quickly today. And also, let me just say this. If you're a part of our church family, you know that my preference and my strong conviction actually is to preach expository sermons from one passage of the Bible. And usually we do that by going through books of the Bible, as we will next week when we return uh, to our study of 1 Samuel. Uh, But there really isn't one passage in the Bible that deals with all of the issues related to parenting in a digital age. And so this is going to be more of a topical sermon, and we're going to look at a lot of different scriptures as we go along. Uh, I was taught in seminary to preach one topical sermon a year and then repent of it. All right, and so uh, that's what we're going to do, and this is the one for 2019. And, and so let's, let's look at these uh, seven biblical principles first. And I want to call these principles today biblical default settings for our families. Uh, in the same way that our phones come with default setting, we need some biblical default settings for our lives and for our families. 
in order to parent well in a digital age. Here's default setting number one. We need to know this, that God designed the family as a place where Christ-like character is formed in our children. This passage from Deuteronomy 6 has come up over and over again in this series because it's so foundational to understanding God's plan for the family. But look at it once again. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be like frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so what does this say? It says that God wants our families to be focused, first off, on what Jesus called the greatest commandment. That our families would be places where we are growing to love the Lord our God with everything that we are. And towards that end, God commands us as parents in this passage to teach the word of God to our kids and particularly to teach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to our kids. That everything we do in our home would be aimed at pointing our children to understanding that good news, that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, and that when we believe in him, we find life and we find it in an everlasting way. That's the ultimate goal of our parenting. I love the way that Paul talks about his goal in the life of his disciples that he called his little children. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 4. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So again, Paul was working hard to see that Christ was formed in the life of those that he was discipling. And of course, there is application here for us as parents that we should be working hard in the lives of our little children, that Christ would be formed in them. And maybe you say, okay, fine, you know, no problem. I, I agree with everything that you have said. What does this have to do with technology? Well, here's a question to think about. Is the way... You are using technology in your home right now. Is it helping Christ to be formed in the hearts of your children? Right now, is the way that you're using technology in your home, doing what Deuteronomy 6 talks about, is it helping your sons and your daughters to love God with all of their heart and mind and soul and strength? Or is it actually working against that happening in their lives. I want us to have this in front of us the whole time this morning because it'd be so easy for this message to really just be entirely negative. You know, everything that we shouldn't watch and that we shouldn't do and so on. But I want to keep this in front of us because I think it's far more powerful to think about the positive. What are we after? What is it that we're running after as Christian parents? We should be running after a home and a family where we are all growing in our love for Jesus. 
We should be running after a home where Christ is being more and more fully formed inside of each of us. That is the goal. That's the goal for us, and that's the goal for our children. And if we keep that biblical goal in front of us, then we're going to be willing to make whatever changes need to be made for that goal to be achieved, even if it means we end up using technology in our homes in a different way than it is used in the homes of the world. Here's default setting number two. Let's remember this. We have an enemy who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to use everything, including, of course, technology to accomplish that goal. And so while God has a goal for our families, and we just talked about that, Satan has a goal for our families as well. He has something that he wants to see happen in our families as well. And and the words from this uh, default setting come straight from the lips of Jesus in John chapter 10. Here is the verse. Jesus said this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus wants us and our children to find life, real life, abundant life, eternal life. But instead of life, Satan wants to give us death. He came to steal, to kill and destroy, and he wants to start with the most vulnerable ones in our households. And I believe that Satan is using many things to do this in the family, but one of them is technology. He's using it in subtle ways even to distract us and to divide us, to to steal the relationships that God wants us to have with one another in our homes. But he's also doing it in more overt ways. He's also using technology to quite literally kill and destroy children in this country. Some of you may not be familiar with it, and I really actually hope that you're not familiar with it, but a couple years ago, Netflix came out with a series entitled 13 Reasons Why, which essentially glorifies a teenage girl's act of suicide. And many teenagers, as often happens with Netflix shows, binged watched 13 Reasons Why, oftentimes without their parents even knowing it, and the effects were heartbreaking. A study funded by the National Institute of Health documented that in April of 2017, the month after this show first came out, that teenage suicides among 10 through 17-year-olds, 10 through 17-year-olds, increased by 29%. Altogether, the study documented 195 more suicides in 2017 than the norm in the months immediately following the show's release. And yet, amazingly, with all of that carnage in its wake, Netflix decided to produce a second season of the show last year and a third season scheduled to be released this year. There there is little doubt that Satan is using shows like that to quite literally kill and destroy our children's lives. But as parents, we should not be ignorant of his devices. We know already from the word of God that we are in a spiritual war. We know that the lives of our children are at stake. And what that means for us is that we cannot be neutral in our parenting. We cannot put the car in neutral in this area. We cannot simply follow the path of least resistance because our kids' lives and their character are worth fighting for. 
Number three, and this one moves us from a focus on our children to a focus on ourselves as parents. As parents, we want to be able to say in every area of life, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Paul first spoke those words to a church he planted in the city of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, those words exactly, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. It doesn't mean that Paul thought that everything he did was perfect, but it meant that Paul was trying by the grace of God to live a life that honored him. He was seeking to imitate Jesus, and to the degree that he was imitating Jesus, he was able to say to those disciples and those churches that were looking to his example, he was able to say, you can imitate me because I am seeking to imitate Christ. And as parents, shouldn't that be something we should be able to say to our children? Kids, imitate me. Because I'm seeking to imitate Christ. And of course, we know that our kids are imitating us, oftentimes in comical ways. You know, the memory that comes to my mind most when I think about this is when my oldest son, Silas, was about two years old. And I was out in the backyard uh, mowing the lawn. And he was on the porch with a little plastic mower. And he was just walking back and forth on the porch, mowing the porch, just as I was mowing the lawn. And, And obviously, he was wanting to imitate me. He was wanting to do exactly what I was doing. And he was watching me. And you know what? He's been watching me and imitating me ever since. And your kids are too. They're watching you. They're watching everything that you do. And they're seeking to imitate you. And the question is, when it comes to technology, what kind of example are we setting? When it comes to technology, do we want them to imitate us? Are are we able to say to our children, can we say to them, kids, imitate the way that I watch TV? Are we able to say to them, imitate the way that I use my phone? Can we say to them, imitate the way that I conduct myself online? Can we say to them in this area of life and in every area of life, imitate me because I'm seeking to imitate Jesus Christ? Or can we not? Here's number four. As people set free by Christ, we don't want anything, anything to be our master except Jesus. This principle also comes from something Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Look at these words, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of of any. Paul is teaching us that yes, there is a sense in which all things are lawful for me now as a Christian, but that doesn't mean that I can do whatever I want to and that there won't be consequences. As you read on in 1 Corinthians 6, you see that there were some believers in Corinth who were believing this lie that because they were free in Christ, they could do anything they wanted to, particularly with their bodies, particularly in the area of sexual immorality. And Paul is pushing back on that and he's saying, yes, you're free in Christ. Yes, all things are lawful for you. That doesn't mean all things are helpful for you. That doesn't mean that all things are going to benefit you. And then he says this, I will not be brought under the power of anything. Other translations render that phrase, I won't be enslaved by anything, or even this, I won't be mastered by anything. And so for those of us who have been set free by the power of Jesus Christ, Jesus's desire is that we would not let anything have mastery over us. Well, what about technology? 
Many statistics indicate that technology has a lot of mastery over us, and increasingly, every day. In one survey, 50% of teenagers self-reported that they feel addicted to their phones. For adults, the statistics are really no better. Parents, on average, spend an, hour of fi- an average of five hours a day on some type of electronic device. 62% of parents said that looking at their phones is one of the very first things that they do in the morning. We're picking up our phones the very first thing we do in the beginning of the day, and oftentimes it's the very last thing that we look at at night before we go to sleep. And then, of course, we all know that we have this almost irresistible urge, right, when we hear that little ding to stop whatever we're doing at the time, whoever we're talking with at the time, to pull our phone out, to look at who's texting me, who's calling me, what notification did I just get from my favorite app. It's this insurmountable urge, or we feel that it is, to react, to let our phone, to let our technology dictate our lives. Of course, there are teenagers and, and kids and really even adults who are addicted to video games and pretty much spend all of their free time in front of a screen and in many cases, they're learning that behavior and learning that addictive behavior from us as, as parents. Many of us, whenever there's a lull anywhere in our life, you know, if we're standing in line at a grocery store or wherever it might be, and I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to anybody else, but if there's ever a lull, what do we do? We pull out our phones and we, we check it out, you know, what's, what's going on? And, and a lot of times we're not even looking for anything in particular, right? We're just aimlessly scrolling, something for minutes, sometimes hours, right? Just aimlessly scrolling, you know, checking news stories, reading stories on our favorite sports team, you know, in case the coach ever calls and asks our opinion, we need to be ready, we need to be prepared. Checking Facebook, checking social media, Twitter for younger people, Snapchat, whatever it might be. And we just, you know, we just keep going back and back and back almost as if we can't help it. Almost as if something has a mastery over our lives. But God's word tells us that we should say with Paul, I will not be mastered by anything but Jesus. And so if something in our lives is beginning to enslave us, if we're beginning to show addictive tendencies with anything in our life, including technology, then we need to be willing to make some radical changes to cut whatever strings we need to cut for whatever it is that is starting to wrap its tentacles around our lives. Here's the fifth default setting for us as believers. We know that God sees everything we do in the real world and in the virtual world. There are some people who believe that when they go online that they kind of have another persona or, or, you know, they're just kind of anonymous that what they do in the virtual world doesn't really matter, have any ramifications for who they are in the real world. But we need to remember, and parents, we need to teach our kids that God sees everything we do everywhere we go, even when we're online. I wish we had time to go to Psalm 139 where it talks about God says that he knows us, that he sees us when we lie down, when we rise up. He knows it before a word is even on our tongue. He even sees the thoughts that are in our minds, that there is nowhere that we can flee from his presence or from his spirit because he is everywhere. And then we read this in the New Testament in Hebrews 4. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees everything and 
What he wants to see in the lives of his children is that we are yearning to live holy lives for the glory of God wherever we are, including when we're online in the world of technology. And of course, this has application to what we're looking at, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But in particular, I want us to think for just a second about the fact that God sees everything that we say when we're on technology. That God sees everything that we text, that he sees everything that we tweet, that he sees everything that we post, and that he knows what's in our heart as we do that, that none of that is hidden from his side. And I can just tell you that it is so disheartening sometimes to, to see the way that people who claim the name of Christ treat other people online. Sometimes we think that if we're online that we can post something or tweet something and we can just be a total jerk to people and it doesn't matter because that's not a real conversation. I'm just online. But it does matter. The Lord sees it and we're called to be Christ-like. The the truth of the matter is whether we're online or whether we're offline, it's never okay to be out of line if we take the name of Christ. And sometimes in our culture today we feel this need to just respond to whatever anybody says. If they tweet something at us or they post something and they tag us or whatever, we, we feel like we have to respond to that. We have to make our voices known. No, no, we don't. No, we don't. You know, it says in James that we are to be quick to listen, slow to anger, slow to speak. Does that not also mean that we are to be slow to tweet, slow to post, slow to text? Quick to listen. Let's make sure, church, that we remember that God sees everything we do and everything we write when we're online. Number six is related to this. In a perverse world, in a perverse world, we are called to pursue purity everywhere, including online. There is no doubt we live in a crooked and perverse generation, and we see that online as much as anywhere else, an estimated 30% of all online traffic is related to searches for pornographic content. 30%. If Solomon were alive today, he might describe it in different terms since the temptation comes at us a little differently today. But the warning he gives to his son in Proverbs 7 is just as apt today as it was then. Listen to these words. For at the window of my house, I looked through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. Is that not the case when we look online? So she caught him and kissed him. And then Solomon described how she seduces the man with a speech about her bedroom and a speech about how her husband was away on a trip and how he would not be home anytime soon. And then in verse 21, he picks up the story. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. 
Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. The way that Solomon describes this is so striking, but now a man doesn't have to look through his lattice to see this. A man doesn't have to go out into the street or make his way to the harlot's house. He doesn't even have to go down to the 7-Eleven to buy a magazine or a book. All he has to do is make a couple of right clicks and he is there. Or increasingly, she is there. And the temptation to seek a form of pseudo-sexual gratification has never been easier to find. And the damages on people's lives and on marriages and on families has been disastrous, more pervasive than ever. If we're going to live pure lives in this culture, then we are going to have to fight for it. If we're not fighting for it, we are going to fall. And if you have fallen in this area, then brother and sister, I want you to hear today that there is hope with God. That you can live a life that is honoring to God. That you do not have to be enslaved to this sin or to any other. But by God's grace, you can live a life free from the clutches of pornography. But it's going to take transparency. And it's going to take accountability. That's why we have a ministry like Fight Club as a part of our Set Free Ministries. It's there to help. We need to make sure that we are doing all that we can, church, to run like Joseph did from every form of sexual immorality and to run to holiness and to purity instead. And then number seven, I think perhaps this default setting is the one I've been thinking about the most this week in preparation for this message We've been called to love well the real people that God has placed in our lives, especially our spouses and our children. We've been called to love well the real people that God has placed in our lives, especially our spouses and our children. And you know, there's no better description of love than the one you find in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul writes this, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So many of the qualities of love that we read there, I think, have application to the way we handle ourselves when it comes to technology. In many ways, in our overuse of technology, I think we tend to envy others. We tend to fall into the trap of parading ourselves. And sometimes we also end up rejoicing in iniquity instead of rejoicing in the truth. But the characteristic I want to highlight particularly is where it says there, love does not behave Rudely. 
Love does not behave rudely. If there's anything that I see when it comes to our overuse of electronic devices, it is this, that we are behaving rudely, that we are treating the people in our life who should matter most to us as if they're not quite as important as our phones or our video games or our music or our screens or whatever else it might be. God did not command us to love our screens. He commanded us to love our spouses and our children and our friends and the lost. And again, I think it starts with grown-ups on down. It's become commonplace now, even for adults, when they're in a meeting or they're having lunch or dinner together, to, to constantly be checking their phones and whatever is coming in. Now listen, there may be times where there's an emergency message that you have to excuse yourself to deal with that. But other than that, the person that you are talking to who is created in the image of God is more important than your phone. And it also, of course, happens when it comes to parents with their children. We saw that so powerfully on that video just before the message. So many times our kids are right there wanting us to love them, wanting us to engage with them. We're in another world. And of course, we see this behavior with our kids as well. In fact, there are many kids and teenagers particularly that I see that almost always have the earbuds in, almost always have the screen up, even when they're with their family or their friends. And what message is being communicated? The message that's being communicated is a very clear one and a very simple one. What I'm looking at and what I'm listening to is more important than you. But the Bible says love does not behave rudely. God is calling us to love each other well, and love is kind. And it cares about the other. And it puts their interests above our own. Those are a few guiding principles. Those are some biblical default settings for navigating this ever-changing world of technology. But now, with a few minutes that we have left, I want to just offer a few practical suggestions on how we can live this out. And I want to be very clear about this. While God's principles that we just talked about are always the same, the way that God-honoring, Christ-loving parents and families will choose to live out these principles within the context of their own home is going to vary. It's going to be different from home to home. Some of these things you may agree with, some of them you may not, but these are a few practical suggestions on how to live these principles out. Some of these are my own, some of these are adapted from the book I referenced earlier, Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family. Here's suggestion number one, limit screen time, especially for young children. Limit screen time, especially for young children. I believe we should be limiting screen time for all of us. Because of what we talked about earlier, about not letting anything have a mastery over us. Maybe that's where we need to start as parents, limiting our own screen time. But I think also when it comes to teenagers, we need to limit their screen time. We need to not make the mistake of allowing our kids to be in front of a screen, whether it's a TV, whether it's a video game, all day long, because they were not designed to do that. God has better things for them than that. But in particularly, I want to raise the issue of our young children. More and more research is being done that shows the effect of too much screen time upon young children in the years when their minds and brains that God has given them are developing. God has wired our kids to learn and to create and to play and to explore and to imagine. 
to explore this beautiful world that God has created. So let's get them out and doing those things. Let's not keep them in front of a screen all the time. Now, I know that it's easier to put them in front of a screen sometimes. Uh, we have four boys in our house. Our house is a crazy house. And I know sometimes it's easier to get things done when you put your child in front of a screen because they turn into an obedient zombie for the next 30 minutes or however long it might be where you can cook dinner or do whatever else you need to do. But listen, oftentimes think about it. The reason why we are putting them in front of a screen is not because it's better for them, but it's because it's better for us. And we need to be thinking about what is best for them. And we need to put some serious limits. And there are different ways that we can do this. Uh, our family has used at times a coupon system where our kids had a certain number of coupons for screen time during the week. And when they wanted to have some screen time, of course, it had to be a time that was okay with us. But literally, we had them come and bring us the coupon, right? And when they were out of coupons for that week, they were out of screen time for that week. Also teaches them how to budget and how to have delayed gratification in some areas of their life. But you know, however you choose to do it, just do it. Please do it. Limit your kids' screen time and get them out in God's creation, learning and playing the way that they were designed to do. Here's another suggestion. Take a Sabbath rest from your tech. We talked earlier about how connected we are to all things Technologically speaking, you know, the beautiful thing about that, though, is that it's really easy to be disconnected from that. All you have to do is a right swipe here, right? Not just off, but, but power off, right? A right swipe and a few pushes of some power buttons. You know what? You could do this tonight on Father's Day. You could power off every device that you have in your home. Wouldn't that be cool? Every device, just for, just for a few minutes, and just listen to how quiet it is in your home. Right? No, nothing glowing, right? Nothing beeping, just, just nothing. And then see if you can figure out something to do, right? People survived for thousands of years with other things to do. And, and we may end up discovering that we have more fun together as a family when we power things down. Andy Crouch in his book uh, talks about this idea of a Sabbath, and he recommends this. I encourage you to write this down. One hour per day, one day per week and one week per year as a Sabbath rest from your tech. One hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, probably your vacation week, as a Sabbath rest, and to build that into your life. Suggestion number three, put your tech to bed before you. We need to give our tech a bedtime. And for that matter, we need to give it a wake-up call as well, Crouch words it this way, quote, we wake up before our devices do and they go to bed before we do, end quote. One of the areas that technology has more negatively impacted us than in any other area is when it comes to our sleep. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we're looking at our phone, again, the last thing that we do oftentimes before we go to sleep, and then we're laying it right beside our bed and we're responding to it every time we get a text or a ding or whatever happens, and it's impacting our sleep, and it's impacting it for the whole family. In fact, 70% of parents sleep with their phone right beside them, and this is the part that shocked me. 70% of parents are allowing their teenagers and even their preteens to do that as well, to go to sleep with their phone in their bedroom right beside them. Now, I can just tell you, parents, if, if, if you are seeing that your child is tired all the time, 
I'm going to tell you, it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out why they're tired all the time. If that phone is in their room, that is why they're tired all the time. Because they're, they're looking at it. They're, they're responding every time there's a ding. They're responding every time there's a text. They're responding every time a notification goes off about something posted to their page that involves them. They're responding every time that Susie down the street texts because she's having an emotional crisis and I've got to be there for her. Even if I'm up till 2 a.m. responding to her, I've just got to be there. And of course, sometimes in the dark of night and the times when their resistance is at its lowest point, our teenagers are also looking at things that they ought not. And so let's give our phones and our other electronic devices a bedtime and let's make it before our own bedtime. And Crouch recommends having a common area that's not in anyone's bedroom where you dock all of your electronic devices at night. That's their bed. That's where they go to sleep. It's a set of bunk beds. And we dock them all right there, and they stay all right there all night long, charging up for the next day, and we all go to bed without them. And you say, well, I need my phone. It's my alarm clock. You know, they still sell these things down at Walmart. You can get them for like $3.99 now. There's a bargain. And it'll fix that problem right away. And you can still wake up the old-fashioned way and not have that phone right beside. And you know what? That might be the best gift that you give to yourself and to every person in your house, the gift of sleep and rest we won't spend long here, but also let's wake up before our phones wake up also. Let's not roll over and the very first thing we do is to look at our phone. Let's, let's just do something else, anything else. Let's roll over and kiss our spouse, right? Let's get up, let's go outside and sing a worship song to God, right? Let's just do anything else other than the first thing we do when we wake up, tethering ourselves to this thing that we're going to be tethered to the entire rest of the day. Here's suggestion number four. We have to move quickly. Set your kids up for success, not failure. Here I particularly have in mind the, the tech that we get for our kids and how old they are when we give it to them. There's a lot of application here for video games and what kind of games we buy and all that, all of those things. And I'm particularly thinking about phones and the fact that we are now giving phones to our children at an earlier and earlier and earlier age. And now again, this is an area where God-fearing, Jesus-loving parents will disagree. Some of you will disagree with what I'm about to say, and that's okay. There's grace in the family of God for that. But I can just tell you when it comes to my kids, my oldest son is 10 years old. He doesn't have a phone yet, and he's still living. His heart is still beating. We still get him everywhere he needs to go, and he's, he's fine. I will probably get him a smartphone at some point while he's still living under my roof so that I can help him to learn how to use that wisely because he's going to have that in his adult years of his life. But I'm just saying for me, that's probably not going to happen until he's like in high school. The first phone that I get my son is going to be the dumbest phone that I can find. It's going to be a phone that has been held back in school three times, right? This is the phone that I'm going to get my son. It's going to flip. It might flip. If it flips, that's going to be a win, right? That's all it's going to do. It's going to be able to call me. It's going to have two numbers in there, mom and dad. It's going to call me when he needs a ride. That's it. And that's what he's going to have. And I know what he's going to say to me. I know what all my sons are going to say to me. Dad, everybody at school already has an iPhone. Dad, even kids at church. He'll start naming all the kids at church. They all have an iPhone. They all, and they, you know, my kids, I've already told them. Don't, don't even try that because I'm not their dad. I'm your dad. They have cool dads. You have me. <laughs> and I'm not going to do it. 
And we're all going to land at different places in our church, and that's okay. But parents, let's at least have the conversation. Let's not just go along with the flow of whatever our culture is telling us that we need to do. Let's talk about it, and let's try to set our kids up for success and not failure by giving them something that they're not ready for at the age that they are. Number five, this is related to the last one. Establish a rule in your house. And here's the rule. Here's what you say to your kids. Quote, I bought your phone. It belongs to me, and I can look at it whenever I want to. Right? Now, now your kids might say, your kids might say, Dad, that's an invasion of my privacy. You can't do that. Your your daughter's going to, you can't be snooping around like that. That's not fair. And you're going to say, remember what I told you when I put that in your hand? You want to say it? One of y'all say it with me, right? I bought your phone. It belongs to me. And I can look at it whenever I want to, right? That is the rule. And you know what? You should look at it. You should regularly check it to see how they're using it. Parents, you should know every password that your child has. And by the way, husbands and wives should know each other's passwords as well. Because if we're going to live in a way that is pure, in the culture that we live in, then we need accountability. We need other people fighting with us and for us to honor God in this area. Number six, when we use tech, let's use it on purpose and together as much as possible. Again, I know that we think that the enemy is using pornography to destroy families, and he certainly is. But, but another more subtle way that I referenced earlier that I think the enemy is using technology is just to divide us from each other to keep us from engaging with each other in the relationships that God wants us to have. So I'm not going to talk about all the ways to do this, but this is just another conversation to have. How can we, on the one hand, stop using technology aimlessly? And how can we make sure that when we use it, it's on purpose? And then number two, how can we, as much as we can, use technology not alone and isolated from each other, but together? The last one is somewhat related to that. Number seven, reclaim the dinner table, and car rides for conversations with the people you love most. When it comes to the dinner table, you know it can just be a rule in your house that for that time, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is for that time, however long it is, that we're not going to be in our own world. Nobody's allowed to bring a phone to the table, not even dad, not even mom. But when we're there at the dinner table, we are engaging with each other. And also in the car, you know, I don't know if you ever notice when you drive by other people's cars and just look at what people are doing in the car. What you're going to see is whoever's in the passenger seat is on their phone. Alarmingly, whoever's in the driver's seat is probably on their phone. (laughs) The kids are in the back seat. If it's a minivan, they've got earbuds in maybe. They're watching a a, a built-in DVD player, right? Everybody is in their own world. Now, they might just be on a little trip across town. They might be on a 10-hour long car drive on their family vacation, and they're all together in the same car. That's a prime opportunity for them to have conversations together, one of the few that we have left in this crazy world that we're living in. And yet, what have we done? Even there, we've separated out into our own little worlds. And we're not talking, and we're not connecting Now listen, again, every family will draw the lines differently on this. We don't boycott DVD players or video games from our family's trips, but we also don't let our kids, even if we're on a 10-hour long car drive, we also don't let our kids watch movies the entire way there. We might let them watch one sometime on that car ride, but we're also going to have times where we talk together. We're going to have times where we sing together. We're going to have times where we make up games. We're going to have times where we're just bored because it's okay to be bored. Amen? It's okay. 
we can survive, we can live, we can get through it. So we're going to have times that are just unstructured where we don't feel like we need to constantly be entertaining our kids because their hearts will still beat. And because we want to be intentional about fostering things that are more important and the relationships that God has given us. I know as we wrap up here that we're all in different places when it comes to this topic. We'll all come to different applications of how we live it out, but we need to let the word of God be our guide in this area and in every area of life. I know maybe some of you have listened today and you just feel like, man, I just feel like I have, I have blown it so much in this area. And, and listen, I'm, I'm right there with you. This has been a convicting week for me as I've been thinking about what the word has to say about this. But I'm thankful that we have a God who says my mercies are new every morning. And because the tomb is empty, because Jesus Christ is risen, every day can be a new day. And this can be a new day in your, in your parenting. None of us can change anything that we've done up until this moment. But by God's grace and with God's power, we can begin to make changes. We can parent in a digital age in a way that pleases Jesus. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to help us. Father, you know the age that we live in. You know the challenges that we all face. Father, we know that you are greater, that you are smarter than our smartphones, that you are more powerful than any internet connection. And Father, that you are always with us. You never have a glitch. You never have a power outage. You are always there. You are always faithful. You are always loving. You are always kind. God, help us to be more captivated by you and by your glory and by your beauty in our homes and in our families than we are captivated by anything else. Father, help us to look different. Even in this area, even in the way that we use Technology, help us to look different than the world around us that does not know you and that does not claim to follow you. Father, you have saved us that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Father, would you help us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 